This is TV8 by Dinner, a podcast about entertainment issues brought to you by DarkCrazy.com. Kabuki. See, I just messed it all up. Uh, ah, kabuki. Ah, <laughs> uh, kabuki, kabuki. <laughs> no, the new rule is anytime someone says kabuki, everyone else has to say kabuki. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's oh, the, God damn it, kabuki. The, that's today's secret words. Kabuki. Yeah, ah, kabuki. Ah, kabuki. <laughs> it's, like, it's funny how, how how lame the game gets so fast. <laughs> all right, what are we talking about tonight? Talking about Cabin in the Woods. Okay. All right, are we ready? I haven't seen it. Everyone is really on oh, now. <laughs> well, we're going to spoil it for you because you wouldn't get it anyway. Yeah, you probably wouldn't watch it. No, it's not my kind of thing. So go ahead. Okay. But, but I, I, well, let's, we'll talk about it on the show. Let's go. You're listening to TV yeah. at my dinner. My name is Sean, and I'm here with Greg and Lynn. Hello. And Vron. <laughs> Kabuki. 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 That's the, the new game is when someone says kabuki, everyone else has to say kabuki. I think I, I think I, I'm two kabukis ahead of you. That's three now. I think I peaked guys, my levels with that last kabuki, so you know. Be, you guys be already lost the game. Don't get so excited about the kabuki. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I just shot my levels. <laughs> oh, we already kabuki. suck at this game. <laughs> <laughs> we all lose. Say kabuki, Ron. Kabuki. She says it funny. <laughs> That's her voice. It's like she hasn't got a native kabuki circuit. That's interesting. Kangaroo Cafe over there thinks I talk funny. It's like that bit in, uh, was it the Stepford, Stepford Wise when she's like, say the word, and she doesn't know the word. It's not in the tape. Luckily, Ron's voice synthesizer allows her to say pretty much anything, which is not always a good thing. Which is more than you can say for Greg. He's more of a robot than I am. Well, yeah, you shouldn't have said that, Ron, really. Yeah. At least he's pretty honest about Just it. Just record him saying, I don't know, I never saw it, or I didn't like it. Then you could have him on the show, whether he calls in or not. Look, why does she hate Greg so much? <laughs> I don't know why she hates me so much. I mean, I've done nothing to her. And that's how you win friends. By doing nothing. Plot, plot to destroy her because I think she's a threat to humanity, but, you know. She just hates she's bad doing, audio. She's doing the same thing to me, so. That's true. What is the greater threat to humanity? Robots who want to rule the world or people who do nothing? Just me and oh, women, man. Funny. I'm having a hard time with women right now. I tell you. It just... Shocking. Because <laughs> you're surrounded by them. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. apparently no end run around that. Not for some people. <laughs> You can spend millions of dollars constructing a, a robot female and still. Millions of dollars. Well, not millions of dollars, but. Yeah. 30, yeah, 35 that's bucks. That's totally what you spent. Whatever. Any amount of money's too much. That's yeah. what a lady likes to hear. To build someone who just complains. Maybe <laughs> if we ever did anything but watch movies. Uh, probably shouldn't have used all those old Radio Shack parts from, <laughs> from the radio station that you had in the box. Oh, man. I'm not sure that's where it went awry. On this, we are agreed. <laughs> All, right, All right. So uh, we're so going to talk about a movie I haven't seen. So Yeah, that, that doesn't narrow Yeah, it. that's a novelty. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Greg? Well, I don't know. My result. But I have to say I'm fascinated by this movie because I have seen the previews, and it looks like a, a pretty fun take on, on your st- standard fair horror movie. So... But since you don't seem to watch standard fair horror movies, you probably won't get it and have as much fun with it as we do. Dimensions. You probably you might like it because it, of the comedic element of it. But yeah, you wouldn't get it quite as much for Pokemon. Well, probably fun not. But I mean, I, I've been I've hung but out it, with you guys enough to know all most of the horror movie cliches. Yeah, and, you know, and at least it wouldn't frighten yeah. you. Yeah, like other. Well, horror it didn't frighten anybody, did it? No, I mean they call it a horror comedy, but really, I mean. It's a horror theme. comedy. I think it's because it's of the scary. amount of gore. There is some legitimate suspense, but but really the, the the spoof element of it is is the most important part of. Did we even say Cabin yeah. in the Woods is the movie we're talking about? Yeah, Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> <laughs> we just jump right and into also, it, man. We, we've we got say, this formula. We'll say this at the beginning. Let's just say this at the beginning because we can't talk about it without 
Spoilers. If you haven't watched the movie, don't yeah, I listen to oh, the episode. We don't do spoiler-free around here. I, mean, I, talk I, about? We, I don't, no, I don't give spoiler alerts that... enough, and I'm terrible about this. I do this all the time. I am the worst guy. Now, mostly because this I assume... This is one of those movies that I, I don't want to spoil for Because I was talking about... Uh, it hasn't even come out here yet. We were talking about uh, The Mist on, on Facebook with... Uh, with Burdick, I've mentioned him before because he's one of our unofficial fact checkers. He's the one who mentioned, who corrected me on the on the Steve Cannell story. Yeah. When I when I broke that story two years <laughs> too late about the passing of yeah. Stephen J. Cannell, but um, we were also like getting this long chat on Facebook about movies about, about whatever Stephen King movies or something. We started talking about The Mist, and I somehow gave away the end, even though I'm pretty sure he had already said he hadn't seen it. And I do that yeah. all the time. I just assume if we're going to talk about it, I, I'm I terrible about that. Like well, I'm not as bad as some people. Too, but... Like to me, spoiler. There's a, there's a sort of a, a statute of limitation on a spoiler. Like if you're like, oh, I'm going to go see that next week, and it's like, oh, it's awesome. Let me tell you about the best part. Like, hey, 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 what the hell? But it's like it's been but... you know it's been on USA <laughs> Network. And the well, statute the way of limitations I, the way I see up. it with this show is. You know, the movie's already been out probably a week by the time you get around to seeing it, or I get around to seeing it. But it's true, and this is now out on Blu-ray, so Cabin in the Woods is way out. And then it's going to be a week before we get a chance to record about it, and then it's going to be another two or three weeks before it gets out on the internet. I know, this right now, we are recording right at the beginning of... And then it's going to be another month before it actually comes out in Australia. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cabin in the Woods. Well, but even now, you've had time to see Cabin in the Woods before we do a show on it. Of course, we're doing a show on it because you saw it. And also, but, this is uh, the sort of movie that I think that it's it's not as fun to spoil. I mean, it doesn't have like a big reveal or anything like that. It's not that sort of spoiler. But I think it's really fun to watch it not knowing too much about it and just watch it un- unravel in front of you. I think it's too much. It's too popular now for people to be that surprised about it. Because I remember when it came out and all of a sudden, first of all, I didn't know Joss Whedon was involved in it or Nothing I would have been sold earlier. Because I thought, that looks kind of neat. And you could tell from the commercials they hinted that there was a story behind the story going on. I'm like, well, that could be interesting. And then everyone started coming back going, this is awesome. Like, this is the most awesome movie I've seen. Like, wait, what? Like, now I have to go see this thing. Really? The the new awesome thing is out? Yep. And then I went to the theater. I'm like, wait a second. This is Joss Whedon. Why didn't you just say that? Well, that was the funny thing. Why didn't they want to release it in Australia when Joss Whedon had just had, like, the biggest movie ever? Oh, it's so funny. I bought the Blu-ray, and the Blu-ray box says, from the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's like, this thing's <laughs> coming out on Blu-ray, like, within two weeks of the Avengers. And the marketing <laughs> is from the creator of that show from the 90s. It's like, well, oh, you know, I they're probably... also directed the most popular movie of all time. And it's got that... Thor in it. <laughs> really? From the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the writer of Alien 4. <laughs> they know their and the market, guy from though. Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. They know their market, though. They know that the people who watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer are definitely the people who will watch yeah, but, Cabin in the Woods. But you don't market to the people who are the built-in audience. That's stupid. We already knew know. about it. Yeah, you market to the mainstream audience. Like, wait a second, the Avengers. I like the Avengers, like everyone else does. Maybe I'll watch this. There may be, yeah. I don't know, there may be a licensing thing about using the Avengers on their box. That's interesting. Yeah, Disney won't allow it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> who knows, man, for real. Either way, it was done poorly. And just, you know, by this stage, everybody who's listening, don't listen to this episode if you haven't watched the movie, because not only that, it won't make much sense to you. Well, I don't think, don't eat, unless you don't care, don't listen to any episode, because we're not going to talk for an hour, <laughs> much as we can stretch a topic without saying anything, which is But we're going to spoil it for Greg, because he doesn't watch horror movies anyway, so he won't get it anyway, so it's fine. Yeah, he's not going to Well, it's not like I'm going to run out and get this movie anyway. I, I, I yeah. will see it when I get a chance. But I'm I ran out, I really did. Well, I deliberately avoided spoilers for this movie, because what? I wanted to keep the fun. Because I had read a couple of reviews that said, look, it's more fun if you don't know what's going to happen next. And that was me. When people started saying it was awesome, I'm like, well, I certainly don't want to watch the trailer or anything. I'll run straight to the movies and watch it. And you had to sequester yourself for how long? <laughs> like a year? Yeah, I did that. Like, and then I think I was glad I did because I really did enjoy watching it unfold when I was watching it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'll tell you my the, my Amazon story about how I bought this Blu-ray. Oh, go ahead. I'm a big, I'm a big Amazon shopper. 
No, I do. Happy. I buy like almost everything on Amazon. It's awesome. I love it. I'm but not here's happy the thing. with Amazon at the moment, but we'll talk about that later. Well, see, Amazon has this insidious invention that, that works really well for them, in my case, called the wish list. Because you can't buy it. <laughs> so you just, like, when you're seeing something you like, you just add it to your wish list. It's like your Netflix queue full. And just like Netflix, yeah, it's it full of that. these just weird stuff. Like, why did I say I'd buy that? Why do I want that? Like, I don't know, but you buy it or delete it. But so I got like, like hundreds of things in my wish list based on different eras in my life. And but one thing they had is they had the Avengers saying, you know, oh, it's going to come out in September or whatever. It's like, yeah, wish list it that way. That'll help me remember. It's like pre-order it now. 30 bucks for the DVD, Blu-ray, 3D hologram version or whatever. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to pre-order it. That's some stupid. Who cares? So I'll just wait, and then when it drops, I'll, as, as they say, uh, I'll get a copy for me, and I'll buy a copy for my nephews. So, and like, it's like a week now. It it drops, and I'm like, hey, it dropped, and now it's prices reduced to $25. What a loser move it would have been to pre-order. <laughs> like, well, I get paid on Thursday. I'll, I'll, buy, I'll buy a couple copies then. Thursday rolls around. <laughs> They're like, that's dropped down to $20. Like, what kind of schmuck pre-orders? So I put two copies in, <laughs> Fan, and immediately, because yeah, I'm, I'm buying that. I got Cabin in the Woods. I got this whole big thing. You know, you buy in bulk because over twenty five dollars, it's free shipping on most of this stuff. So that's like, where they get me because I'll buy something that's like twenty four fifty. Yeah, and it's got to be from Amazon. You can't just buy anything off the website from another seller. It's got to be yeah. stuff from Amazon. But that's fine, whatever. You know, you're buying DVDs, two DVDs from Amazon, and gets you the free shipping. That's cool. And I'm buying Cabin in the Woods, two copies of this. And it's like, eh, your quantities have been limited because there's a limit to what you can order. It's like, you can't buy two copies of The Avengers, the most popular movie to come out on DVD. Like, yeah, uh, we'd yeah. never be able to meet the, the, the unexpected demand for the world's most popular movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. Okay, well, I'll be clever. I'll drop the Cabin in the Woods off this order because there's already enough stuff on it. I'll buy the Avengers, and then I'll order another copy in a second order because I'm so smart. And then I did that, and I went back, and I did the second order. The second order was like, meh, your quantity's limited to zero. It's like, what, you already kept track of what I already bought? They yeah. know everything. You know, second transactions. Like, so now I can't even buy Cabin in the Woods 2 because, because it's... I wouldn't have enough money to get the free shipping. So I went to Best Buy and got them. So suck it, Amazon. You're limited quality bullshit. I'm going to pay $30 a piece ahead of time to get more than one. Yeah, there are other stores, Amazon. Remember that. Yeah. We have the lock don't, on it. Don't, don't use our trade-in store either because I got ripped off. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because I have, we have, my wife wants to one of those new Google NX7s. And we have all this old tech around, Nexus. You know, old iPods. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Nexus Sevens, <laughs> and uh, and uh, um, you know we had all this old tech around. We had you know a bunch of iPods, and uh, my daughter had a Nintendo DS she wasn't using anymore, and all that. Well, um, so I you know used their new trade-in service because I thought well that'd be kind of cool. That way I can so you use just them. Give them your old crap and you get yeah credit or something. Well, what <laughs> they do is they. Is they send it off, and, and you can choose whether or not to, if if you don't like the amount that they give you give for it, you can have it sent back, or you can roll the dice and just let them credit your account. Well, I foolishly decided to roll the dice, and then I found out later that what they do is Amazon doesn't fool with this stuff. They send it to one of their third party people, and they and they inspect it and decide whether or not that um you know if it's good quality or whatever well my daughter's nintendo ds was brand spanking new i mean it she never used it she didn't like it for some reason she she just i mean the thing and it was the fire red one the one that everybody wants you know not your daughter yeah not my daughter apparently but um anyway they gave me 25 bucks for it when they told me they were going to give me a hundred dice yeah so, and I called Amazon and I argued with them and I finally got them to give me a $75 credit. So it all evened out. But, but what I figured out is, is that the, this stuff goes to third party people and they're, and they have no incentive to give you a good deal. 
Yeah. Well, they're using the Amazon brand to screw you. And if you yeah. anybody on the off chance that somebody squawks about it, Amazon settles it. But, you know, one out of five people actually make a fuss and the rest of them just accept it. So Right. And that, I mean, it took me two hours on the phone to get that extra 75 bucks. But but I mean, I just refused to be robbed about it. And also, it was it's not like 75 bucks. It's $75 in promotional dollars. So you have to buy you can only buy Amazon products with it. You can't buy the third party stuff. You have to buy something from Amazon. Oh yeah. Yeah. You and know, it's not eligible for the free shipping either. Probably not. No. So you're going to eat it on that. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the trade in store Amazon. at Amazon, I'm sorry, folks, this is a rip off. Yeah. So. You got to watch that. Cause there are brands that I love. Like I said, I shop Amazon all the time. I do love Amazon, but every now and then you get annoyed when something that you love has a facet that you, that you just don't like like that. And that's the thing. It's like, I can't buy two copies of the Avengers. If I'm buying a hundred, I would get it. But two. Yeah, that does suck. That's, I can buy two. Right. like you should have pre-ordered. Not at your prices. I got the same price at Best Buy. And I don't need the 3D version anyway. I don't, and when I got when I actually went to the store to buy it, I realized, why do I need the Super Deluxe? I don't have a 3D TV. I just need the Blu-ray. Because you get the soundtrack with it. You get the digital copy. You get the digital <laughs> copy. Digital copy. I got the Blu-ray and the DVD. That's one for the living room, one for the bedroom. Where am I going with this thing? <laughs> Well, see, digital I have an iPad, copy. so now I like the digital it on, copies. On your, yeah, now you can watch it on your phone. It's like, I've got a flip phone. Yeah, I watch <laughs> it on my tablet. I got one of those Asus Transformers. God, it's good. So good. Well, What's it called? Uh, an Asus Transformer? The... Yeah, I got the Transformer Prime. It's got a shiny metal case. <laughs> so out. good. It was, like, expensive, but it's like, so good. Really? <laughs> It yeah, really it. works well. Like the Nexus is really good for like for, if you're going for the 7-inch one. But mm-hmm. if you're going for the 10-inch one, it's got a built-in keyboard that's actually a docking station, so you get extra battery life out of it. And really? it has the USB – oh, yeah, it has USB ports and everything in it. So whereas if you normally get a tablet, you don't get any USB ports or any of that shit. But if you get the Transformer, you get the docking pad base that has all those things in it. So it actually makes it into sort of like a laptop that you can use as a tablet. Huh. Yeah, it's really cool. Take a look at that because that may be something more of what yeah. my wife wants. Because she wants Have to take a look a, at it. Tra- yeah, she wants to take it traveling yeah. with her. Well, that's why um, I got it because I was going traveling. I was staying down at my parents' place. They didn't have the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I got that, and it just it works so well. It's really it's quite fast. It's got like a quad core, so it goes pretty well. And you still have to put quarters in it like you do everything else in Australia. <laughs> yeah, still got that wonky Aussie internet. Yeah. You well, if cr- I use it off my phone, to crank if I tether it, it to my phone, I do. But not at home. <laughs> Got to crank it up. It's got a kangaroo pouch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought Lynn had a kangaroo nothing. pouch. Don't all Australians have a kangaroo pouch? Well, yeah, that's sure. how it works at the edge of the world. Yeah. yeah. And so we don't have to have babies the conventional way. We can just have little tiny ones and you don't have to do labor or any of that shit. You know, just <laughs> little tiny babies. <laughs> yes. Haven't you seen the Howling 3 or 4, whatever one it was? We don't do Little tiny, tiny anything in Australia. I've seen that. Yeah, really. Your babies probably come out like that one in the Rick Moranis movie. That second when he blew up the kid movie. Nope. Whatever. Nobody I knows. <laughs> honey, I blew up the kids. I, that was the worst reference. <laughs> I oh, haven't honey, even I seen that movie. <laughs> well, I've I seen Honey, I blew up the kids. I didn't even see that. The Honey, I Blew Up the Kids one? Yeah. I didn't know no, how many that. giant baby references can you just pull. I remember going ass. to Disney MGM Studios when that movie and Dick Tracy were the big, big movie. Uh, or Honey, I, I, I Shrunk Shrunk yeah, the Kids. I, I remember seeing the studio honey, where they the had the giant bugs from that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie. Yeah. I saw that, that behind the scenes stuff. And they're floating in the giant bits of cereal. That was awesome. Yeah, I saw that in the theater. That had a Roger Rabbit cartoon short running before it. Yeah. And yeah, they just blew that. up their turkey, so they had a giant turkey. Yeah, which <laughs> always like, drove us crazy because my brother would say that. Well, if they you just – because his, his shrinking, world basically, hunger. it says it manipulates the empty space between molecules. So if you blew something up, it wouldn't be any more substantive to eat, it's even though it's larger because it would have a greater amount of As a matter of fact, space. if you stuck it, it would probably just deflate. Yeah, it would be the worst <laughs> turkey you ever ate. Yeah, really. It would be light Way and fluffy. Way to go, Rick Moranis. They do that with meat anyway. They put air into meat anyway. Way to fail. So we didn't like that movie at all. 
<laughs> I just can't buy the, the scientific premise of this film. <laughs> well, I thought their description of how to whistle was a bit wrong because you don't put your lips together and blow. You purse your hey. lips and blow. Yeah, but that's just a that's a yeah, classic line. Yeah, because if you line. put your lips together and blow, you go. That's an yep. old Lauren Bacall line yeah. from uh, "To Have and Have Not," where she says, "You it's know how wrong. to whistle, don't you?" Well, that's she's like wrong the, too. Well, I think she was getting at something else. It's sexier when she says it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's yeah it's sexy at all when a teenage girl's saying it. Yeah, I don't think yeah I don't think kids are supposed to be saying it at all. <laughs> They didn't have Even a rating system back then. They had to they had to dance around things. Okay, so okay, let's move on from that. <laughs> it reminds me of that Saturday Night Live skit. You ever seen that Saturday Night Live skit where they talk about that? Like they all you know, back in the forties and thirties they had these rules about how men and women could interact in a bedroom, like you know, if if there was if the woman was lying on the bed for whatever reason, the man could only sit on the bed and put like but one foot His feet on the, floor, on the floor, yeah. And they did a, an old Saturday Night Live skit. I believe it was Bill Murray, and like they 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 pan down to his foot, and then the, the, but they show like oh, and the foot like you know flopping about and all this you know like something is going on, but you don't see it. All you see is the foot. Oh, it's hilarious! I was watching The Thin <laughs> Man the other day, which is an old, which is an old one, and they're married. Nick and Nora Charles are married in the film, but they they have them in the bedroom and they're sleeping in separate beds in the bedroom. Yeah, and it just that's why I love Lucy up. was because you weren't allowed. Yeah, like they weren't allowed to say that married people slept together. Yeah, like yeah. how crazy is that? Like on I love Lucy, they the couldn't say the word of pregnant. Marriage doesn't even make it okay. He has a husband bulge. <laughs> Husband's bulge. Yeah, that's from the Cabin in the Woods too. When they're reading the, the, the diary, uh, it was that, none of my friends have watched it, and I'm trying to reference these really funny lines, and they were like, "A oh, what?" Say weird things. Like she just says weird stuff these days. Yeah, What's I always funny do that about it, in Cabin in the Woods, where that scene comes from, is like the, the sort of pinnacle moment of the film. The the one that makes that that sort of brings the movie together is they're off in a cabin in the woods, and it looks just like it's sort of the it is the Evil Dead premise. It's the same number of characters, same character archetypes, and they're exactly. off in a cabin in the woods somewhere. You know, and you know something bad's going to happen, and finally the cellar door just flings open inexplicably, <laughs> and, the, and the guy's like, "It's probably the wind." You know, <laughs> and they're like, "How does that make sense? What kind of sense is that?" But they go in it, and down in the cellar, it's just full of every prop from every potential horror movie ever made. It's so fact, good. Really, I'm like, look, there's sequels, a thing from the they thing. They just take all these little things and make them into separate movies. Yeah. The whole concept is they have to pick w- what's gonna kill them, and they don't know that, so they're just pawing through this Hellraiser puzzle thing and there's like a, there's like a magic conch but that they don't know it but if they blow it it'll conjure a merman to kill him. Oh the merman. <laughs> That's and, one of the best know, running gags. It is because he's like he had the conch in his hands. I'm never going to see a merman because they're taking a pool in the, the behind the scenes area they're all taking a Because the behind the scenes Greg this is making a lot of sense mm-hmm. Greg the movie starts with the behind the scenes of the people manipulating the cabin in the woods scenario so yeah, they collect yeah, I, together I these that, kids and, I mean, and that sort that's of thing. That's kind of so. why I'm interested in seeing this movie because I know it's all like, you know, well, the, and that's, the, the kids in the movie are being manipulated by a bunch of guys. In so we're watching it as we go along, yeah. which is the funniest thing to that's watch what the makes people work, behind the scenes. Because there's never, that's not a reveal. That's what, I was watching the commentary right before we did the show, and they said that the very first thing they knew that was part of the pitch of the movie was they were going to open with you already knowing. Like yeah. it wasn't going to be some kind of cheeky reveal later on. That and was those what people are turned so the whole good. movie on its ear. Was it would begin the opening scene is these guys like riding around in a golf cart in this weird government installation talking about nothing. Yeah. And like they're the ones who are orchestrating this big Scooby Doo ritual to kill all these kids. Yeah. So the, one of them really, really wants to see the merman. It's like his life goal is to see the merman, and the kid picks up the conch and nearly blows in it properly, and nearly like summons the merman. Like, and they're like, "Oh my god, what's going to happen?" Because they're all about to do something that's going to get them all killed. There's like a magic necklace. One of them that put it on. One of them's playing with like this music box. The other, not only the same kid that's one of them's messing watching with the, the conch is like fiddling around with the Hellraiser box. Like these kids are just playing with matches. <laughs> and, and then she finally picks up the the jerk. 
the diary and starts reading it, and she's like, "The next part's in Latin." And the, kids and the guy's like, the like "Don't read ever. the Latin. Do not read the Latin." Like that's the lesson that you could take away from the movie because it's like yeah. that is it's so like, something that that we would say on this show. It's, it's like, like how perfect moment Sam, of it's like how Latin. perfect moment of don't poke the bear. It's like you, the guy at the beginning is like, "We shouldn't be down here. We should just leave." We actually say that in one of in our earlier episodes. Yeah, There's don't a horror movie survival guide, and it says the things you don't do, and most of them are in that cellar. Yeah, like, I'd say all of them are in the cellar. Don't read the magic word. There's like an old film reel down in the basement, too. It's like, yeah. oh, man, if we played these tapes, that would be it, too. The unicorn tapestry. Yeah, really? Oh, yeah, I didn't even notice that because later on there's actually unicorn skewering guys. It's so good. Oh, my and God. The third Anyway, act, so like, right the at the end, the merman pays awesome. off because right at the end, the guy who always wanted to see the merman gets killed by the merman. And it's such a funny moment because you know it's coming. Because as soon as he says, oh, I really wanted to see the merman, you just know that that's going to pay off. And it, <laughs> it makes it And, great. like, right at the end, everybody's getting killed and it's horrible. And you just hear this flopping noise and he's lying on the ground and he hears the flopping noise and he looks up and you just see this horrible big merman creature. It's, like, horrible coming flopping up. And he just looks at it and goes, oh, no, like, really? Come on. <laughs> this is really yeah, going like, to be my demise. A, like, oh, really? That's how, what you're going to do me? Yeah. <laughs> So funny. But the, that, the payload of the movie it does come about in that third act because by the time they've established all this stuff, there's still a sort of realistic plane that's happening on where it's still just kids in the woods getting chased from. What they pick is like a family of redneck zombies. That's Zombie redneck after torture them. family. But throughout that, they sort of stumble into behind the, the curtain. And yeah. Get into the installation, and of course, there's a button. My favorite part about the movie—I got to go back to the commentary because we stopped. I stopped listening to it to do this show, but I, I want to know their take on this button because they basically get corralled into this control room, and there's a big red button that, that just says, says purge. "Expel all." Yeah, <laughs> Why is that? Who has a purge button? <laughs> that's like my favorite part of the whole movie. So, and there's no one guarding that room. What, man, what yeah. does it say? It's a, what is There's it? a button no that just lets like loose all the monsters. So it's like she hits <laughs> it, and then all the cages, because they've got like every horror, horror, awful thing in a cage somewhere in this installation. And, she, and they're all sitting together in these cages. Them all loose. In waves. One button just brings them all through the elevators. Like, <laughs> and they all get really released into the facility that. where the behind the scenes people are going, and it's just like it's mayhem. And it's yeah. like the best horror movie. Like for horror movie nerds like us, it's just like the best thing. Seeing every horror movie monster just waves and waves of them killing all these <laughs> security guards. Think, yeah, just when you think that's enough, it's like like boom, and the, the, the elevator doors come open, and another <laughs> wave of mutants comes through. So that sounds really cool. There's a unicorn skewer. Angry raping guys. tree. No, it's molesting tree. Angry molesting tree. <laughs> oh See, that sounds really cool. It's the thing so that doesn't awesome. sound, I mean, that that sounds, I'm not really big on like the scary, suspenseful stuff, but the, the funny stuff like that. I don't this think is I so can funny. watch that. I mean, that sounds the like a like lot of best. And really, to yeah. be honest, I really think this is the realization of a dream for Whedon because this scene, basically, he did already when in the, the finale of the season four of Buffy. Yeah, where all of the monsters get released. These guys are basically the initiative. Yeah. There's some government organization behind the scenes. The initiative in Buffy was, was soldiers fighting monsters, but this is a spin on that where it's the same kind of concept, but they've run into these old ones that they have to placate, and they realize that feeding them teenagers every couple of years keeps the world from ending. And that's so the, like whole the initiative with a with a greater destiny in their own minds to do much more twisted shit. Yeah, but so. it's the same scene because what the initiative did was they captured monsters thinking they could weaponize them, and of course, we've said this on the show. What happens when you do that? At some point, someone hits the big red button, and <laughs> they all get button. out. Yeah, so it's it's yeah. I was thinking that too. I was saying that to Ben. So when it's but it's also like there might not normally be someone guarding the purge button, but when you have people loose in your facility. That would be the time to say, how about we just send at least a couple of guys to the purge button just Someone to make at sure. at least lock the control room. I don't know if I even saw doors on that control room. Yeah, there's doors, but they're not locked. Why would you put in a purge button anyway? But they're glass, too. The yeah, why would you put in a purge window. button? Why would why you put in like a purge button would be the worst idea ever. Like, this is yeah. just inviting disaster. Literally invite. It's a big red button that says, push me. Yeah. I mean, she didn't know one thing. They'd been there five seconds. 
and she's like, should we hit this button? And they're like, yeah. And she sees a big red button. She didn't have to do any research. She didn't have to read any manuals. She just looked up at this thing. It's got a big red button. Like, I'm pushing that. Yeah. And then both of them are like, they've just been through so much shit. They're like, look, just press the button. Yeah, We're just pressing the button, point. and that's something I do love about this movie. Because even at the very end, that's sort of there, there's an almost sort of whimsical nihilism. Yeah, to it's the totally. They take they've got this stoner the character, and the stoner character is so stoned that the drugs that they they're using on them to make the kids do what they want don't work on him, and that's how they get out because <laughs> yeah, he's the, too the stoned. Starts working for him. He's like the puppet masters. Like, and she's like, seeing all she's like puppet masters, and he goes pop tarts. Did you say you had pop tarts? Did you say pop tarts? That's great. <laughs> She's like, you're too stoned. Oh, the, there are some Whedon regular. I wouldn't say regulars, but there are a lot of Amy people Acker. who worked with Whedon before. Him being Frank Krantz, who plays the stoner in the movie, is one of them because he was a big, he was a big character on Dollhouse. And he's really one of the highlights of the movie. He does a really he good does job a great playing job. He's, he's, he's lovable the, the stoner. Fun character. But Amy Acker, who is in Angel and in Dollhouse, she's also in this. And this in is the her second lab coat I... role for Whedon. Much Ado About Nothing? What The the word is that Much Ado About Nothing might be coming out next summer. I just Yeah, read that's it. what I've heard. That's what I've heard, but she's in that too. Yeah, well, that'll be a fun one because it's all just Whedon regulars getting together yeah. and making I'm really looking forward to Shakespeare. that. that that'll be, but that'll she, be she plays a good role. In it. The only thing I, dis- I was disappointed about her is that I think her death's a little bit lame. Well, I think they're just she happy just, to get her in the movie. She's just she like giant tentacle off by a giant tentacle. And she's like, oh, man, nothing nothing fun for her. She doesn't get chem lab to death or something because she's the chem lab boss. And she's really, she's the, there is a reverse access character because she's just there to explain all the chemical stuff to everybody. Like, yeah. why didn't the, the marijuana, you know, why the marijuana kept him from Well, basically, working. it's she her explains fault. Why they're all stupid. Because that's her the fault, thing is, work. they're pumping them with drugs to make them dumb. Because there's like a scene where, as soon as they see the rednecks, they're like fortifying the house, and and Chris like, Hemsworth is like, is "We've all got to stick together, you know." And they're like, "Oh, this won't work," and they have to turn up the gas. They're like, "Wait a second, wait a second, we should split up because that way we cover more ground." It's like, why does that matter? Yeah, it's but like they're really like, stupid. It's like this isn't right. We have to. Let's split all just up. split up and freak out instead. Like, it's such a perfect behind the scenes of like this is could be why all the other dumb horror movies are so dumb. There could be guys like this behind the scenes on all of them. Well, that's what's so great. You see the guy say it's like Thor. He gets there and he goes, "All right, the most important thing is we have to stick together." And then it clicks straight to the behind the scenes guy and he's going, "Ah, oh. come on!" <laughs> like so, they have to do something immediately to turn him around. Why? Because he's getting. Is it, why do they turn him around? Because he's starting to get the uh, the for, starting to formulate a plan, and that's yeah. Because like, let's all stick together. Yeah, we might survive if we do that. You got to pump them through until they start thinking of dumb things. You got to break them up so that you can can kill them one by one, and then the virgin at the end. Although she's yeah. not a virgin, <laughs> that's the funny thing. She's like so. She's so like, what's virgin? the overall purpose of the installation? Just like the study it's human too, It's a ritualistic sacrifice to please the elder gods. And this isn't the only place that's going on. There's like in every country, there's they're like watching where Japan's got like a, a school full of little girls being haunted by a ghost and a ghost with long dripping hair. Like they're all over the place because the whole point is that at least one of them has to pay off to sate these elder gods, and if they all fail, then they'll just rise up and destroy the at earth. At the beginning so. of the movie, there's five there's five of these scenarios going on. At the beginning of the movie, three of them have already failed, but they say Japan has a hundred percent success rate, and they're like, how hard is it? No one survives girls. the Japanese horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the end, and like like three quarters of the way through the movie, we start like we see that the Japanese, the little girls, all singing some sort of song, and the yes. ghost gets sucked down into this bowl, <laughs> and then this Spiro frog will live jumps inside out. this happy frog. <laughs> Everyone will be happy, and then they're all cheering, how and then this is little nine-year-old like, girls cheering happily. How hard is it happily. to kill a bunch of nine-year-olds? And then oh, okay. yeah, so that's the, the guy, and he's just like, is like, this cabin in the woods is like the last ditch. Yeah, yeah, if this doesn't no, work, then they're going to come back. That, like, yeah. That's the end game for this installation. It's like, man, I love the bit, though, that they, they've got, they're all cheering. All the little nine-year-old girls like, yay, we're happy. And then he's just yelling at the screen, F you, F you, F you. Because the core of the story is that they want, they think they're doing the right thing, but, you know, they're so jaded by it that they're just, you know. Yeah, taking bets and stuff. basically doing commentary, yeah. Horrible things. And that's why that's why the ending works because, I mean, we'll we'll spoil completely spoil the ending for you, Greg. In the end, 
the they the director, which is Sigourney Weaver, comes out and says to the girl, she says to the girl, look. The stoner guy has to die, otherwise the elder gods are going to rise. And he has to die in the next six minutes before the sun rises. And so the girl starts pointing the gun at him, kind of going, well, if it's for the good of old humanity. And then, you know, um, she gets attacked by a werewolf and he doesn't die. And then she has a chance and she sort of looks at him and says, oh, well, humanity's had its run. And then the elder gods rise. They kind of have this sort of beautiful moment because it's almost it, it is almost uh, profound because they kind of realize well if this is what it takes then yeah forget it. it's not you worth know? the moral compromise <laughs> yeah let's just let's just let all everything drop because that's the whole thing it's like we're not talking about reshuffling the deck this is the end of absolutely everything including you you'll die too so it doesn't matter like nah that that just sounds like a crock. So let's yeah, just, and if that's the way it plays out, let it play out. It's a very, <laughs> in, to me, that's a very film noir kind of attitude. It's like, well, it that, is, it's pretty great. Yeah, I'm going to have to catch this one. This one sounds pretty good. It's, um, a, it's a fun movie, and, and, and I enjoyed it a lot. It's like, and I know a lot of times on the show, I was just thinking about this the other day, a lot of times on the show, you know, we're always like, man, movies suck now. You know, they but never this make one doesn't. good anymore. But, you know, when I think about, like, the two DVDs that I bought, like at Blu-rays that I bought this weekend... We're like Cabin in the Woods and Avengers, and like, wow, these are two of the most awesome movies I've seen. And then I can't tell you how long. Like, Cabin in the Woods is the new Evil well, Dead. What can this I say? And Joss we trust, right? I yeah. know. Yeah, I can't ever criticize him because for a while I, I saw him as sort of a, a cautionary tale of wasted potential for the longest time, and all of a sudden, yeah. like he's whatever he's happens home. next, he could do whatever he wants after this. Like he has, he's lived up to his potential. Like he could do more great year alone. stuff, or he could retire. Yeah, this is it. This is. I mean, he turned. Well, we'll see how this Shakespeare goes, around. but I'm pretty sure. But I was reading some article, and it said, "Hey, the Avengers was a sophomore effort." It's like, hey, 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 now come on, we're not counting Doctor Horrible. I know it wasn't a theatrical release, but it was something. And Buffy. I think I kind of even wonder if Doctor Horrible might be what put him on the alias map. I mean, or at least put him in that running for for being considered for a movie like. Um, I think the Joss has had an ongoing relationship with Marvel Comics, and people have kept because I remember when the X Men movies a few years ago, he's writing X Men in the comic, and people like, of course, fans are saying, "Why don't you get him to make an X Men movie?" And the studio's like, "You know, we really respect Joss a lot." Like, whatever. Like, you can eat it now. Like those same people are watching the Avengers numbers and like, "Holy crap! Why didn't?" Yeah. Like, well, yeah, I, I do feel that. like yeah, for the longest time that nobody really took him seriously, which is why he ended up having to do something like Doctor Horrible, or well, why he got kicked off Wonder Woman because or, he, you know because he laid up. Well, Wonder Woman was doomed because he wasn't the only one. Wonder Woman is still looking for for somebody. He would have been the best pick for Wonder Woman because he understands those kind of movies. But, but the studio wouldn't let project, him do the right what he wanted yeah, to do, they, which would have been yeah. Good. yeah I mean, if they let him, if they had let him take it, I mean, it probably would have been good. Oh, they'd let him do whatever he wanted now. But as yeah. far as I've heard, he's signed an exclusive deal with Marvel Entertainment now. Well, yeah, so. yeah he's like with Marvel for the next ten years. Yeah. DC can suck <laughs> on that. Yeah, yeah. You take your Wonder Woman. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's now what Marvel's they got need him. is a Joss Whedon because Joss basically Marvel has got him lined up. It's like help us craft the the future of Marvel film and TV. Like I think he's developing a Shield TV show. Yeah, with oh, I've heard he's going to write great. and direct the pilot. And he is doing. You know, he signed on for Avengers two already. And um, I, they're really picking his brain. Like he's going to be one of the the architects of the next phase of Marvel films. Like, they want to yeah. build everything because the Avengers took what they did in phase one and made it all work. So, yeah. like, we were now more than ever, we got to make sure the phase order. two works. I think, I mean, if they weren't worried about that, I just thought that, the Avengers would be fun. I thought yeah. the Avengers would be fun. And when they said Joss Whedon's directing, like, well, that'll be fun. I didn't even know he was writing that. I just thought he was directing. Like, well, that'll be good. That's a good thing. And then... I'd never imagined that you could make it work like he did. Yeah. He and brought new I levels no to it that did. you didn't expect. Yeah, you're like, ah, because that has got to be, I mean, it's it's one of the greatest superhero movies. I still hold The Dark Knight, but but if you're going to talk about super-powered superheroes, then we can say The Avengers I think definitely they're, is the they're, they're two one. different movies, and they both work really well for what they're trying to do. And I think that's, that's, you know, you don't have to say one's better than the other because they're different. 
Yeah, it's difficult to compare them on that oh, level. Oh, he comes but, a merman. Yeah, I already saw it. I'm a little ahead of you, the merman. Just I'm watching it, and I just got the merman. I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> but, uh, he comes flopping out of the mist. <laughs> just blub, blub. And he looks sort of like the mer creature from the Monster Squad. He's like a big, cheesy-looking thing. But when he bites him and he eats him, blood, blood comes out, out of this blowhole. It's <laughs> back of his head for no reason. Like, these guys just really thought hard. Like, oh, what on. are the little touches that just that are just delightful? Yeah, um, it's it's... That's the thing. They made the movie to make themselves happy. And because we have the same sense of humor and the same joy in movies as they do, we enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, and that was the thing. They actually fought to make the movie the way they wanted. Yeah. And they got, because, you know, obviously the studio, because that's one thing they were saying in the commentary is, like, the whole point of the opening scene is to give the audience this weird impression that they may have walked into the wrong movie. Because it starts with these two guys in an office talking about how he's starting to get his wife pregnant or something. Yeah. And the, the studio comes up to him and they're like, well, we're afraid that people will not understand what movie they're in. It's like, ah, uh, that's right. That's what we're going for. <laughs> it's that's funny because awesome. while well, Joss was saying, it's like you have to balance uh, confusion versus intrigue. Like, yeah. unless you think they're going to get confused and walk out of the movie theater, then be prepared to give them something they don't know because they're there to find out. Man, if they're allowed so to give us a whole interested... movie called Prometheus that does nothing but confuse us, they can give us two minutes at the beginning of this movie that gives us, makes us a little bit concerned. We can trust that Joss is going to reveal what's happening. Yeah, and that's and what's what good about the movie. Really, no... What's funny is it's the opposite of that because he's telling you everything about the story in the opening scene. That's what's awesome. There's no moment where you're like, oh, my God, that's what's going on. It sort of is slowly revealed throughout the movie that, I mean, you know that there's these guys doing things behind the scenes and then you slowly sort of get the reveal that it's something bigger than them and then the Elder Gods thing just slowly comes out. And and that's what's good about watching it. That's why it's good about not having the spoilers because you, you get to think it out yourself. You get to see it happening and it's really interesting. Because well, what's funny but it's is really good there's on the nothing more watch. annoying when you watch a dumb movie with twists because you get yeah. the twist you're like come on because it's patronizing because like a person yeah. dumber than me is trying to confuse me like I already get it yeah but see they don't do that at all they do everything backwards on this it's all through the reveals like even that like that big scene where he's on the motorcycle and he's like I go back and I'll get help don't worry no matter what if I have to crawl, I'll get help. And you know he's about to drive into a wall. It's so good. Because the <laughs> opening of the movie, when they go into the tunnel, there's a, like an eagle flies by and smacks into the side of this hologram wall to let you know. It's like, wow, everything past there is is like controlled by them. It's fake. It's a hologram. Yeah, so you so know the whole he's time about to... he's like, I would go for help. Like, oh, my God. He's so doing like, the big speech. They ruined what would have been this awesome, funny moment of him smacking the wall by giving you this longer funny in joke that you have where you're like oh god he's about to just drive into the wall but the whole time it just gets more dramatic don't worry just stay alive but they're not hamming it it's a very dramatic scene he's not like they're not overplaying it it's like any scene you'd see where they're it's very serious but you know he's about to jump <laughs> into a wall and then he bangs into the wall and just like a puppet just flops down and all the way down the wall it's still satisfying but you knew that was going to happen the whole time <laughs> oh my god that's the funny part <laughs> Oh. Sigourney well, yeah, Weaver, got, I don't think, is quite me. as well used. My levels are going to be all messed up on this. You're getting too oh, excited. My. I think I, I did get excited and actually knocked my head headset mic out of whack. I think <laughs> I got animated in talking about this movie. <laughs> but it is funny how, because that's an interesting choice as a, a writer and a director, how they did, uh, Drew Goddard was the director, but he and yeah. Joss both wrote it. Yeah. And... Um, to it's just like say, you together. know, instead of building to that one gag, let's just go ahead and show the bird flying to the wall right now so the whole time everyone will know that it's pointless. Well, that's the whole fun thing. It's the dramatic irony of it. Yeah, so that that's where they makes keep turning clever. it on its ears. Like, let's not pretend that we know more than the audience. Let's let them in on it at every turn. And that's the fun of the movie. Yeah, we never feel patronized to because they're like, hey, look, watch this. I'm going to set this up for you before it even starts. Like, you're in on it with them the whole time. Because if you weren't, you would just think it was stupid because we know the gags that are going to come. And that would be I mean, a little over the top where it's like, wait a second, they're in some kind of holodeck or something? But it's like, first five minutes of the movie, we told you that. So it's, it's old hat at this point. 
movie's yeah, not so out of fine. hand. We told you that from the from the get go. Yeah, it's like so you're so it in works. on it, and now you're invested in it because we well now somehow. Well, somehow yeah, I guess if you teach you already know this. about it, you're I mean you're just willing to accept anything because yeah, it's it, not being yeah. done to me. I got brought in on the ground floor. I'm seeing it happen to them, so suddenly I'm invested in it too. Yeah, I'm wanting to die just as much as that. Yeah, no, yeah, they're not treating me like I'm stupid. They told me it's like a a practical joke, but someone tells you they're going to pull it before, so you're not you're not on the other side of the joke. You're in on it, and that's the whole movie. (laughs) And but that's that's the thing because we I I was reading a discussion online about who the villain of the movie is, and they say the villain is us, the the viewer. I mean, we're basically the elder gods who are demanding these sacrifices done by the book in every movie we watch. It has to happen that way, otherwise we're not happy as an audience. Well, because it's equating us to those, because basically, you know, there's a scene where they're about to get it on in the woods, and, like, all the guys are gathered around waiting for her to take her shirt (laughs) off. Yeah, and it, it, and it doesn't happen, and they leave, and like the two guys in the control room, there's a dude going, you know, is this appropriate since we're, you know, trying to get them killed? And they're like, we're not the only ones watching. This is important. Yeah. Like, the, not only <laughs> is it the ritual sacrifice there, but all the conventions of a bad horror movie are part of what the, the sort of titillation that they have to offer to these old gods. So, yeah, the virgin has to suffer. She doesn't so, have to die, but she has to suffer. Yeah, it's optional. If she dies, she has to die last, but she doesn't have to die. She can survive as long yeah. as she suffers. Yeah. And it's it's such a brilliant idea. And one thing that, that uh, Tracy and Dane mentioned to me after seeing it that I thought was a neat take on it, they said they were kind of disappointed because they thought through the whole movie because they revealed near the end you know, to them that all the people – in the ritual fulfill a certain archetype there has to be like a bimbo there has to be a jock yeah. there has to be like a an egghead scholar guy a fool which is the the, the stoner pothead, and a virgin yeah and they work with what they got it's not literal but <laughs> she's not literally a virgin but what they were saying what tracy and dane were, were saying is like but it would have been interesting because you sort of get the idea they say from the the first scene in the movie they say the girl's not a virgin, so we know she's not literally a virgin. But and the guy who's the supposed air. to be the egghead, he's actually a jock. <laughs> it's as well. in the air that that uh, the pothead might be. And they're like, yeah. we expected that to be the turnaround. Yeah, a lot of people did. They expected him to be the virgin, so it was okay that she died and that would work out well. Like a lot of people expected, were like, oh, we really expected this to to you know have that twist and then it would end out okay but they don't do that to you they don't have the little fun twist oh he was the virgin all along and it's going to be okay they just let loose hell <laughs> yeah because that's not the point of the movie again you're yeah. in on it there's there aren't any surprises of that level because you're in on it the whole time they're not going to pull something yeah. on you the whole idea is we're making them into these archetypes they may fit well, the, the personality like, is that we dumb down the jock we dumb down the bimbo we we i mean they they spiked her hair dye so that when she bleached her hair blonde she actually literally became a dumb blonde like so well, the she only, would fit the that only archetype. the only twist bit is that you think you see the stoner guy die and then they they have a line where they say the tunnel doesn't blow up when it's supposed to and they say there's a power reroute from upstairs and they're like upstairs and then you yeah. find out that the stoner's still alive but and again, he's been fiddling that's with a the surprise power. to us because it's a surprise to those guys, them behind yeah. the scenes. We're in on everything. We have yeah. the, as much omniscience as they do. Although so that, again, that, it's, that a, annoyed it's a surprise a behind the curtain as well. That annoyed me a little bit because right at the beginning, we see a screen where they have all of the characters' vital stats up. They have their heartbeats and everything. And you're like, well, why didn't they check on that to make sure he was dead? Why, if they're so good at this, why did they just see the spurt of blood and go, ah, oh, that guy's dead? Why didn't yeah. they go, let's and let's check the heartbeat to make sure? You guys are pretty, you would... pretty quick to pull that lever. Although if you watch the movie, when he pulls the lever to denote that that guy dies, there is like a whole There's big a tremor, like 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 that is not cool, dude. Like the yeah. gods are not happy. That's what with I like is when you watch it the second time, suddenly all this stuff makes sense. Because the first time, I didn't get that you know he'd been rerouting the power and that had been what nearly caused his friends to get out. I didn't get that. And then the second time watching, I'm like, oh, upstairs. Now I get where that happened. What's funny too is if you, that cellar scene is a lot funnier because because they were saying in the commentary too how meticulous they were that everything in that scene had to be meaningful somehow yeah. you know like even stuff that you only see for a second and then they went out of their way obviously to incorporate that into the monsters that they create later on yeah it's a lot of fun to see like oh those porcelain masks like oh yeah you know yeah yeah you see even all the things, things in the background like, oh, that, and there's that one oh, this. 
the, I, yeah, like also, you said, unicorn tapestry. I didn't even see like with that so much. Fun. That's a funnier kind of payload. That, that later on, there's literally a unicorn. Also, I love that they cast um, Jodel jo Ferland as the little zombie girl. No, little zombie girl. Who's who's she? Who? I mean, I don't she's know the her. girl. She's in. She's the girl that plays the creepy little girl in everything. <laughs> she, you oh, didn't really? recognize her face. She's from Silent Hill. I did not recognize. She's in her Silent Hill. She was in Kingdom Hospital. She was in Carrie. She was in like she just she just plays the little creepy girl in things. She's in she's in the Twilight movies as a little creepy girl. <laughs> That's what she does. That's funny. Well, so that, they, when, like as soon that. as I saw her in the picture, I was like, it's that girl, it's that girl. And that's like a little casting Easter egg for people like who've watched things like Silent Hill and Kingdom Hospital and that sort of business. It's been a while, I guess, since I've seen those. I didn't recognize her. She's she's a young actor that's been in a lot of stuff. She's in Blood Rain 2. <laughs> that young if she was in Silent <laughs> Hill, Jesus. That was like yeah. five years ago. Wow. Yeah, well, she was younger then. But. She's a young kid and she's already got horror movie street cred. Yeah, she is, and that's oh. that's uh, you know a little casting. I think the casting in this movie was perfect. Like everyone well, was. So it's good. another thing they stress in the audio commentary is exactly how demanding they were in getting the casting right. Because yeah, they lucky knew. if they didn't get that one guy, they weren't going to do the movie. <laughs> but they did just right. Everybody in it, including people you've never really seen before. Yeah. You know, obviously, you've seen Chris Hemsworth before. Yeah. Well, not at, at this stage. You hadn't seen him as much when they cast it. He hadn't been Thor yet. I know, now he's like one of the big, one of the big movie stars. I'm glad that they did this before though, because he wasn't quite so buff. I mean, he was still looking pretty good, but he wasn't like Thor buff. Apparently the Marty, the guy who plays Marty is really cut. He couldn't take his shirt off in the movie because it ruined the character. He's yeah, like, oh, they, apparently we can't have he's three a wiry really cut, cut dudes. little guy. Yeah, well, and the guy who's like from Grey's Anatomy, he's playing the brainy goat dude, Avery. You watch Grey's Anatomy, oh, don't yeah. you, Greg? No, I watch that. You crap. probably see crap. I thought you watched Grey's Anatomy. No, hot people being miserable. Good grief! Excellent, but I watch it, and he's in that. So now I'm watching Grey's Anatomy all the time, and because he was so good in Cabin in the Woods, I just see the character from Cabin in the Woods now. I'm like, that's the guy from Cabin in the Woods. He's dead. <laughs> it's funny. I'll have to rewatch and finish the audio commentary. I don't often watch audio commentary anymore, you know, but. But I'm a big fan of of, of Joss Whedon, Whedon, and I really am curious to see, you know, what what was in their heads when they were making this movie because it is so much fun to me. And obviously, yeah. the, the the basics of it you get they're like, well, you know, they love horror and they're doing the fun kind of spoof on horror. I get it. And I'll seriously make this movie feel like thirty grand, thirty thirty million dollars. Yeah, which isn't yeah. much these days. Yeah. That's fair. That's not very much money now. Yeah. But they said it was kind of part of the fun was not having, you know, the huge amounts of special effects and that sort of thing. They did it on a small budget and that's how horror should be. Yeah, and there's some CG because of the level of monsters yeah. that they have to deal with. But for the most part, it's mostly just makeup and practical blood effects and stuff. Yeah, and no some, CG blood. I mean, they're just gallons and gallons of blood. In so fact, much blood. Drew Goddard spends maybe the first five minutes of the commentary just talking about what they wanted to use for blood because of the reflective quality he wanted it to have. <laughs> like he was very, very serious about you know what he wanted. <laughs> it was like heated up chocolate or something is what they ended up using. But it's so funny that, like, so now much you're speaking my language. Because that scene, that elevator scene where everyone gets killed, I mean, it's just <laughs> gobs and gobs, gallons like, like one of the elevator of just blood. does the thing from The Shining where it just spurts blood everywhere. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> just all horrible. over the place. I mean, the throwaway scene of zombies just eating whatever's left. Just random bits of people falling off the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just like, the whole, the whole corridor is just coated in blood. <laughs> oh my god, it was awesome. I mean, there's so much payload in that movie as a horror fan. Yeah. I love the scene where she's getting beaten up by one of the zombie redneck torture zombie dudes. And it's in the background. They're having a party and it's just on the screen in the background. She's just like getting the shit beaten out of her. 
and and then yeah, just, like, and they're cutting to the party something. scene because it's like they're just assuming we're all done. Like it's like this huge suspenseful scene where she's trying to live, and they just cut to the guys in the control room. I read an interview with her, and she was saying I was worried about that scene because that was like her for three days. That was her getting beaten up and being all wet for three days, and you know she's vomiting blood. She's getting smacked around. She's flying <laughs> around on wires. And she said I was worried that my mum would watch that scene and get really upset about her little girl getting beaten up. But you see it in the movie, and you t- I mean it's in the background while they're having a party and they have a party music and stuff and it's just like wow it's, well that's another done. thing about the the attention to detail like that but you can tell if you look in the background that scene's for real that scene yeah. is not it's not half ass at all but it's barely featured because in order to work it has to be a serious scene but the way they choose to use it is it's just somewhere in the background where they're doing other stuff it's really well done yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I'm glad that, that Joss, as a writer and director, has really come across this year. He directed year the second people unit him. as well. Oh, I didn't know that. I assumed yeah, he was, I was just off making the, the Avengers while they were doing half of this thing. But well, very creatively involved. Because he and Drew Goddard got together and decided to write something together and without 100% knowing which one of them was going to direct it. Mm. Although they kind of always lean towards it being, you know, Drew Goddard. But but it has, this one has Joss all over it. Like, it didn't feel like, you know, Cloverfield or anything like that. It really did feel like well, Cloverfield, a Joss Whedon project. I, you can see where he has that same sensibility where, where he understands, you know, horror movies and how they work. But, but he also worked with Joss Whedon back on, like, Buffy and Angel and those kind of things. Yeah. So they go further yeah. back on... And you can tell, you know, this doesn't feel like a weird collaboration. I mean, it, obviously... It feels natural. Yeah, the guys are of, of the same mind and mentality when they're writing this movie. Yeah. But some of the, some of the um, funny dialogue scenes, like the first dialogue scene where we meet the young kids, it, that, you can really feel like Joss Whedon all over that. There's like a, a great bit where... The, the 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 couple they see each other and the guy just picks up a textbook and goes where did you learn about books since when have you been reading books and she's like I learned it from you and runs out and you can tell it's just a little interplay between these two they just they both smile and you know go on with like nothing had happened and you can tell it's just a little fun interplay with, between people who know each other really well well the Marty character is a total Joss Whedon kind of character he has that <laughs> same the, the quippy kind of way yeah. of talking. But, well, they're talking in the commentary about that particular scene because the importance of that scene is you have very little time to see them as who they are, who they are before, before they go they... to the cabin and go out of their minds and they're manipulated. And at the end of the scene, he just looks down at the girl and says, also, you have no pants. <laughs> she's just running around in her underwear the whole time and nobody said anything about it. And he's like, also, you have no pants. And she's like, oh, God. <laughs> it's, it's a funny, it definitely feels like it definitely feels like that kind of Joss Whedon that, that you loved in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer that kind of yeah. stuff if but you not were, over the top that it's less like oh that that was so Joss and that sort of thing you know it's not in a not in a bad way well I mean not I mean, in a way that you'd have to say to someone well it's Joss Whedon <laughs> like you know yeah <laughs> like sometimes yeah. like well this is what Joss Whedon kind of likes to do with it. Like, it's it's accessible, but it's definitely his, yeah. his signature. And Avengers just gives us both this year because, like, I want to see him do that kind of stuff that we love, but I also want to see him graduate and use his ability, you know, his talent for something in a bigger kind of picture. And we get both, and it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like I said, you can you can say no more. It's like you could you could burn out at this point. And you've done enough. You've given us enough. I'm not going to hold yeah. you accountable for any more. You've delivered everything you promised and more. So if if you should happen to suck in the future, that's okay. It's so good to watch directors that we've liked for a long time. Directors and writers of talent that just come up and actually make good. Like Del Toro. Ben and I have loved Del Toro for years and years. And finally he comes out with Pan's Labyrinth and everyone's like, oh, this guy's great. And we're like, yeah, we were telling you this. And it seems like it so rarely happens. It seems like when you find someone like in the rough and you love them and you think, wow, when they get their shot, it's going to be something, you know, and then it never really seems to play out. It seems like the more people go into the mainstream, the more you start to lose them. Yeah. But not true with, not true with Joss Whedon. He found, he found out how to do it this year. And Del Toro. Yeah. Well, as well. I, Although, I was reading I an, I do, an article where I think where... I do like some of his earlier stuff. I think I like some of his stuff. Well, I think I like the stuff like 
Pan's Labyrinth, I think. Like, yeah. uh, what is it? De- well, he sort of he sort of does the one movie for me, one movie for the budget sort of thing. Like, I love to see him do a mainstream movie. Not, don't be afraid Mimic. of the dark, but uh, that that was not a good movie. Well, yeah, that was. That was a bit different, though. That but I like awesome. to see his stuff applied to, like, a Hellboy. I thought he did a lot of great, fun stuff with the Hellboy movies. Well, he's supposed yeah. to be doing a Haunted Mansion movie. Didn't they you heard about this? do one? Is it going to be? Yeah, yeah. yeah they the did the Eddie, Eddie Murphy, Murphy thing, but they're doing another one. Because that one sucked. Yeah, well, pretty yeah. much. But, but this one is supposed to be... Scary? You know, scary, yeah. Interesting. But if it's Don't Be Afraid of the Dark Scary, then... Uh, I'm not gonna hold my well, breath. He was working on a Frankenstein project. Whatever happened with that? I don't know. Well, he, was, he was working he was on a... In the Mountains of Madness, and Prometheus happened to that. Well, at the Mountains of Madness, guy got, got nixed though. And yeah, I'll because you, of Prometheus. But the thing is, the reason Prometheus is probably one of the contributing factors. I was reading this article about all these big budget movies that the studios like putting the kibosh on because these giant budget movies aren't paying off like they ought to. Yeah, you know, like uh, well, Alex Proyas had this giant idea for Paradise Lost, like this two hundred million dollar Paradise Lost oh, adaptation. Wow. And I thought, well, that'd be really neat. But saying that, I don't want to see somebody screwing up Paradise Lost because that is it's a, a as sacrosanct a piece of literature. That's right about around someone saying we're going to make the Bible into an action movie. <laughs> They've done that, yeah, and I'm not against that. Moses. But you better get it right. If you're gonna do that, that's a bold idea. I never Paradise have understood why. I mean, I can see maybe a studio doing one of those big movies a year, but but it's gotten to, to the point where they're doing two hundred, three hundred million dollar movies quite often, and that, and that the, I don't see how the accounting works on that really. Because they're gonna do the flops. little movies that that make some money back. Yeah. I guess just because. The, the the figures are so big that you have to have so many of those a year. Like they don't want to make a ten million dollar movie that makes a hundred million dollars. That's like chump change to them. They want to make a two hundred million dollar movie that makes a billion dollars. Yeah. And they're willing to risk two hundred million dollars to to make that happen. Well, like that's you know, what, like someone says. How does John how does John Carter, Carter happen? It's like because oh, it could have been Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> they thought it might be Pirates of the Caribbean. It'd be worth it if it turned into that kind of franchise. That's how Green Lanterns happen. It's like, well, you know, what if it's the next Batman? It's like, when you should get Batman people to write it. That's what they don't ever understand. No, we talk endlessly about story on this well, show. Well, that's why what the Marvel <laughs> stuff is working, because Marvel is actually getting people that they want to do things. Like when they got Robert Downey Jr., that's, that's not someone who the big studios would have allowed them to do, but because they're just Marvel, they're like, no, we want him because he's the best for the role. Here's what and, I you know, heard. We'll get like, you know and how Don Cheadle came into Iron Man 2? And who was the who was the guy? Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard. Yeah. And who told me this, that the reason that they could not, that they replaced Terrence Howard in the second film was because he was actually the highest paid person on the first one. Yeah, really. that's... That's what I understood. Is like the, he, maybe you uh, told me that. Uh, maybe I, I don't know. If, I don't remember ever telling the story, but uh, but yeah, apparently he was, you know, making more money than Robert Downey Jr. in the first movie, and of well, course that's he wasn't a big no movie star. He was a he was a hit or miss. You know, it was a risk putting Robert yeah. Downey Jr. because you're like, yeah, well, this kids yeah. had all kinds of breaks, and you know, is he ready to to straighten up and be a superhero? I mean, it's but what they, makes him they, perfect they for Iron Man. Him. Yeah, and it paid off. It really did. And in a way, and it makes it work because he's sort of that sort of kind of fragile and almost broken kind of character like the character he plays. Like, no one could be, you know, Iron Man. We all, like, sort of believe in that character because it, it's sort of legitimate in him. Yeah. Seeing Robert Downey Jr. become a superhero makes us all believe in superheroes. It's <laughs> yeah, sort of well, that's the thing. Joss Whedon must have been a risk for them. Like, who, which studio would give their biggest feature that year to Joss Whedon? Well, think about it. He had He's only done like two movies. One, one studio picture, and it was Serenity. Yeah, like who who would give that to him? And but Marvel trusted him, and look what happened. They picked yeah. the right people, not like people with a proven track record and stuff. Well, that's why put your faith in people, not numbers. That's yeah. What well, the I don't know why people learn. are still giving Uber Ball like, money though. 
you're because they're doing numbers so like well you know we'll put this on but, TV but didn't we go through this and he never makes any money uh, they must make it back in in the DVDs because DVD they're not giving him a lot of money but you wonder why they ever commit to a theatrical release for the, these kind of movies yeah. although in the name <laughs> of the king 2 didn't get a theatrical release he it didn't did that deserve one. one it was fun for a watch but it didn't deserve a theatrical it's, yeah it's not a theatrical kind of film I guess it all goes into that mysterious thing they call economies of scale. I don't really understand what, what that means. Like economies of scale. I hear this a lot. You oh. know, it's like, like it makes sense to spend $200 million on a movie if you're going to make, you know, a billion, like you were saying. But, you know, it you wouldn't, it, for some it goes against that theory if somebody makes a $30 million movie and by some fluke it makes a billion. You know, it... I mean, it it works that one time, but they don't expect it to work, so they don't do that. Well, so yeah, they're playing the numbers. They're like, look, if we have like a Twilight where there's an audience that's rabid for this thing, then we can make a crappy, low-budget movie and pretend it's a big film, <laughs> and they'll see it. <laughs> they'll eat that shit. There's no reason to dress it up any better than that. Well, that's, that's the Star Trek come, formula. How right often there, do they right? come yeah. around? Yeah, yeah, but Star Trek, it was a different time back then. You don't you won't see that where they have these franchises of relatively inexpensive films that make decent money but not big money because they're not interested in that kind of moderate turnaround anymore. A Star well, exactly. Trek that's, is that's not what the I'm kind saying of temple with the of scale. I, I can't quite understand it. I mean, but I, I hear it a lot. I hear it a lot in my line of work. It's like you know, it's okay to spend this ridiculous amount of money on something because we're you know we're probably going to get probably going to get a a big return you know but why not spend much less money and stand just as much a chance of getting that bigger return and and have make more money by saving the money that you you know would have spent on the big movie i kind <laughs> you know? of see it yeah. i mean it's sort of a philosophy of i'd rather be sorry for something i did than for something that i didn't do like the guy who <laughs> shoots low and gets it is like okay that's fine but the guy who shoots low and doesn't get it is a joke the guy who shoots high and gets it is a hero but the guy who shoots high and doesn't get it is like well at least you did what heroes do like I, I sort of hey, get what they're Shyamalan. saying like, if you're gonna risk it all and and then lose at least i can respect that but but you laid up and lost. That's serenity. It's like you laid up and lost. It's like you should have put it all on the line, and then if it flops, it flops. But you put it all on the table, and then we can respect that. So I kind of get that. You know, there's a guy going, "Yeah, I greenlit John Carter. I did," and I wouldn't greenlight that picture again. But I'll I'll greenlight the next John Carter. He got fired, by the way. The next John Carter <laughs> <laughs> might be. Well, that's a mistake on their part, because the next John Carter might be the next Pirates of the Caribbean. This concludes our discussion of Cabin in the Woods. Tune in next week for more talk about Epcot Center and Pirates of the Caribbean. Also watch for our upcoming Friday the 13th retrospective. Listen to other episodes at tv8mydinner.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, join us on Google+. DogCreaser.com And remember, do not read the Latin.